Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to paramountplus.com to try it free. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. Listeners, viewers, we have a new world champion, Grandmaster Ding Loren. Uh, there's so much to go through. I'm going to try to keep the intro short. I've been trying to catch people up in case they weren't watching the match, but I feel like everyone's probably caught up. So we'll keep it brief before we bring in our guest, Grandmaster Erwin Lemie. Did want to give a shout out to our presenting chess education sponsors, chessable.com. They've got a fantastic array of opening choices, uh, tactics courses, whatever it is that you're interested in working on. And of course, they have space repetition to help you learn. Um, I have a list of my favorite courses that you can check out that will be linked to in the show description with descriptions of for what level it is best suited. And I'll be updating that list as time goes on. And of course, they have free courses that you can check out as well if you go to their page and filter for free. So quick rundown of the match. Uh, Dingler and just an incredible display of resilience and fighting chess through the match. He outlasted Nepo more than anything. I mean, they both, it was a knockdown drag out affair. He won in the final rapid tiebreak, as you guys probably know. Let's do a quick rundown of what we've, what has happened since the last pod. Game 14, of course, was a fighting draw. Ding tried this Bishop D2 line in the Nimzo, was worse out of the opening, and he ended up groveling, as we say. He held on for a 90-minute draw. He found a few, in a few situations in the endgame, there was only one move to hold the game, and he managed to hold it. So, uh, good job by Ding, and that set the stage for Sunday, four-game rapid playoff. Game one was a banger. Definitely recommend you check that one out. Uh, Ding had some pressure. Nepo found this cool concept. He started to counterattack and found this cool concept of a queen sacrifice that could not be taken. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the balance was held and the game ended in a draw. Uh, games two and three were slightly uh, more solid. Game three in particular in the rapid playoff. Um, and in the fourth game, uh, if you're only, I assume you've probably seen a recap if you didn't watch it live. I actually recommend you go back and watch the replay live. Just a incredible moment of a heightened tension that built throughout the game. They got down to a few minutes on the clock. Of course, Nepo was white and uh, was pressing at times. Uh, Ding played this legendary move, Rook G6, self-pinning his Rook to press for a win when they both had less than a minute and a half on the clock. Um, so, and Nepo faltered shortly thereafter, faltered. I think he was sort of in a psychological release mode where he was acquiescing to a draw and, he, and Ding was up material and went for it. And Nepo missed a key idea of, uh, kicking the queen off the diagonal, pinning the rook with the C4 and boom, Ding suddenly took control. Uh, Nepo still had some chances, but they were both so short on time that uh, Nepo did not find the chances to draw, and we have a new world champion. Ding, of course, wins 1.1 million euros for his effort, 30 years of age, the first Chinese Open world champion. Of course, we've had um, Chinese women world champions and, in fact, have one now. So both chess world champions currently are from China. Ding was uh, basically over overrun with emotion at the time. He just kind of slumped. Um, and Nepo obviously handled his loss well, but quite upset after a grueling match when he threw in the towel. 
And the press conference ding said a lot of moving things, but I thought this quote in particular was moving. He said, I started to learn chess from four years old. I spent 26 years playing, analyzing, trying to improve my chess ability many different ways with different changing methods, with many new ways of training. I think I did everything. Sometimes I thought I was addicted to chess because sometimes without tournaments, I was not so happy. Sometimes I struggled to find other hobbies to make me happy. This match reflects the deepness of my soul. I could not control my mood. I'll cry. I'll burst into tears. It was quite a tough tournament for me. I, for me, I feel quite relieved. Uh, so touching statement from Ding, and you could really see the emotion uh, in his face. And I think that sets the stage. We've got lots to discuss with uh, one of my favorite people to talk to about top-level chess, uh, Grandmaster Erwin Lemie. So let's get you to it. And we are here with a return guest. He is one of the top players in the Netherlands, has been a regular member of the Dutch Olympiad team since 2006, winner of the 2015 Reykjavik Open. He's also a highly respected opening theoretician. He has worked on the teams of FIDE, former FIDE world champion Veselin Topalov and perennial top 10 player Anish Giri. He's also a very popular chessable author. I definitely recommend Lifetime Repertoires, Carol Khan, and he's got many other offerings as well. I believe he may be working on one. Uh, in addition to that, but, of course, the order of the day is to discuss the World Championship, and we are excited to welcome back to the program Grandmaster Erwin Lemie. Welcome, Erwin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great yeah. to be back. Yeah, excited. As I've I've mentioned on previous pods, like you're not someone who's tweeting a lot, except when the World Championship comes along, you'll occasionally share a thought, <laughs> and uh, and I always enjoy it. But, but let's dive right in. I mean, uh, we're recording this, of course, Monday, the day after the Rapid Playoff. Um, I was watching live, um, as I think a lot of chess fans were. But let's go straight to game four, Erwin. So were you watching live as uh, Ding uh, turned the tables and won the final playoff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I was uh, I was there from, from the start. So it was 11 in the morning, 11 in the morning uh, for, for me here in Netherlands. For you, it was a bit earlier, I, I think. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and um, yeah, that last game was just... I don't know where where it came from, to be honest. Uh, I had the feeling that Napo was pretty much in control uh, mm -hmm. of, of 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 this whole tiebreak, and then suddenly these moves. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much chess here yeah, because uh, that's maybe not what we what we what we want. But those moves, Bishop B4, and especially of course Rook G6, going yeah. into that self pin, and Magnus tweeted uh, about it. That showed such uh, enormous uh, confidence, or or or. I don't even know how to, how to call it, but it it just uh, I'm not surprised that Napo collapsed instantly because it, it was such a shocker for everyone. Everybody was first of all this move bishop before. Everybody was a bit surprised already because it looked like the bishop is a bit uh, out of you know out of uh, out of, out of play there. Um, and then to avoid the repetition the way he did, it was just and then okay the final I also uh, his reaction to the win. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you. Uh, I mean that that was. Uh, yeah, I I, it, I I was touched a bit by by the whole um, the whole. I felt of course bad for Jan because yeah, obviously uh, he definitely had his chances to win. Uh, uh, but then also yeah, Ding is such, such a nice guy and 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 you also wish him all the, all the best. So it it was, yeah, it was it was very uh, in a way very um, beautiful and and at the same time brutal uh, last game to uh, to watch that that fourth tiebreak game. Yeah, I felt the same way. I'm I'm a sports fan, and you, you occasionally get these moments when you're following sports where someone sort of finds something within, you know, where they they reach a level that maybe they didn't even know that they had. And maybe I'm projecting too much, but in the sequence that followed from Rook G6, after all of the psychological strugg struggles that both players endured through the match on full display. Um, now, it's not like Ding played perfectly. It's not like he won by force, but the 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 calm he showed in that situation, um, I, I was I was dazzled. And and yeah, on the sporting theme, you know, so often it comes down to some tiny bounce. You know, the ball hitting the crossbar or whatever it may be. And certainly, with as many um, heightened moments as we had in this match, I felt that way watching yesterday. And and he had one minute on the clock huh, when he made the decision to, yeah. to to go all out for the win. So it's it's not like he uh, he was in a comfortable spot any any way. So it uh, yeah it was extremely impressive. Uh, I I think that clearly those two decisions, Bishop before and and especially Rook G six, that what made him that's what made him world champion. He didn't yeah. get that many chances. Uh, besides that, well, it wasn't even a chance in my uh, he he created 
something out of nowhere. And he was extremely precise also. He, he looked focused. He looked, uh, yeah, he looked extremely good in that moment. Uh, um, I think the best uh, he's, he's, he's been in the entire match. Yeah, I agree. And I was watching the broadcast with uh, Tanya Sachdev and Robert Hess and Fabiano on chess.com. They did an amazing job. Erwin, yesterday, were you watching a broadcast or how did you, how were you following at that moment? Yeah, I was following that same, uh, same, same, same broadcast. I, I, it's, it's funny. I think, uh, my Russian is not very good, but I, I saw on Twitter, I saw a clip of, uh, Switler, Grishuk and, and Kramnik. I think they were doing some Russian commentary and the moment, the fourth game they were repeating and um they assumed that the game had anything to draw <laughs> uh-huh. so they were just they were simply discussing the next step like uh blitz now or this guy they didn't even realize that the game had uh, uh actually continued it, it shows how what kind of decision uh being made there this is really uh, shocking but i forgot your question sorry no no that but that's that's exactly what i wanted to get to because um i didn't catch i was probably on the levitov channel i know that fiddler mentioned that he was doing some yeah. russian broadcast for that so i'll have to check that out but i was also watching the chess.com broadcast but apparently on the fide broadcast with on with um vishianand they were slightly less shocked by rook g6 but certainly uh on the chess.com broadcast similarly the uh Tanya and Fabiano were just in the process of dismissing the move as uh, as Ding played it. I, I like that a lot about uh, chess.com. Uh, I, I only watch chess.com, so I can only uh, speak on their uh, behalf, you can say. Um, Fabiano was there bringing the the, um, uh, the experience in the, well, the excellent chess also. Obviously, he brought a lot of wisdom uh, how to approach these things. I really like to listen to his commentary. Then uh, they also have the healthy mix of sometimes they throw in some engine line, so they they do that very well. I think that balance between uh, uh, engine because it's 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 very easy to just throw out some engine lines. Of course, you see them on Twitter, you see people shouting blunder blunder. But I like how, uh, especially Fabiano, how he he gave meaning to those uh, to those uh, uh, moves, and it often turns out not to be that that simple actually. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like it's been a bit of a change over the years. I, I feel like in earlier years of chess broadcast, you often would have the uh, the announcers consciously never looking at the engine. But I think as chess has brought in more fans, uh, list, viewers, for better or worse, are so glued to the engine bar that the, the announcers, I think, don't want to miss something major. Have you noticed that change as well? Yeah, you can't really ignore it anymore. It's right. just... It's so powerful. Also, it, it feels a bit weird if you're talking about something and and in the meantime, the engine already shows a much, much superior move, uh, something that's maybe even winning. So you kind of miss even the, the plot of the game in that way. So it's nice to have both, I, I think, to have the strong engine at uh, on the one hand and, and somebody uh, who's able to make a sense of it. Yeah. Uh, that combination, I think, is is what everyone's going for now. I think that's that's very uh, that's very correct. Yeah, that's my opinion as well. I, I have seen people mention, I mean, as we'll discuss when we discuss formats later, uh, no one's ever going to be happy with, like, you're never going to please everyone. But um, but I think some engine analysis is okay, as long as they're predominantly speaking um, and analyzing on their own, which they are. Now, Erwin, in prior interviews, and you've told the legendary story of witnessing one of the most famous chess games of all time, in person, uh, Kasparov Topolov and uh, Vike. Um, and it makes me wonder, as you watch this moment yesterday, I'm sure you watch your fair share of historic chess moments. How do you compare this one? How do you compare the emotions that it brought about to uh, other famous, especially modern chess games? Because obviously we didn't see like Zurich 1953 in person or anything. <laughs> No, well, I think you mentioned the Kasparov Topalov game. That's one of the most historic games ever. And I was also very young at the time. So that that's that that leaves a kind of impression that I think cannot be compared to to anything else. Um but certainly this last game, uh it's yeah, it's going it's gonna go in, in into the books. And uh definitely yesterday I was I was nervous at some point. I, I had yeah. sweaty hands. I, I mean I was really watching with a lot of a lot of excitement. Uh uh, so I I don't think I can compare it quite compare it with uh, the game you mentioned, but uh, uh, definitely it's 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 big uh, for sure. It's one of my uh, one of my biggest chess moments for sure that I've witnessed uh, live. 
Yeah, I felt the same way. 441,000 concurrent viewers during game four at its peak, according to uh, FM Jack Rogers of chess.com. So uh, hopefully a lot of people shared our feeling of being um, extremely entertained. But but let's uh, zoom back a little bit because it's one of those also similar to sports, one of those things where like that moment was so incredible that it, that it can make you forget all the previous moments and all the other times that either player, especially Ding, was sort of hanging on by a thread. And of course, Ding uh, was very fortunate to even be in the world championship, given the circumstances under which he got into the candidates, the circumstances under which he got from the candidates to the world championship. Um, but I'm so I'm just curious, Erwin, like, were you watching live throughout the match? And what was your impression of the classical portion of the match? Yeah, I before the match I thought that I might that I might still do some other things as well, but uh, it, it turned out that I was mostly just watching the match. Right. Uh, it's just it's 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 just too interesting not to uh, uh, follow it. It's it, it's just um, it's just great, and um, yeah, Ding of course initially he had such a tough time. Uh, I th I think he, he was asked at the final press conference. If he regretted anything, and he said something along the lines of that he won, so he 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 felt like it's all it's all fine. But I think um, for the future, it, it, it this experience will be so big for him because he, I think next time he'll be able to settle in much more easily. Uh, he was it was just so shaky at at the start. It, yeah. it was almost painful to watch. I remember his first press conferences. Um, yeah, he just looked so unhappy uh, with everything, with his play, with with, with being there. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, once again, I forgot your question, but um, well, um, I mean, I I, I want to follow up on that. My question was relating yeah. to just your overall impression of the classical um, yes. match, but let's come back to that in a minute because I do feel like that that was um that made him so relatable, and then it ended up sort of tracing this arc because you know it looked like he could have just been knocked out right at the beginning and he kind of finds his footing but then there are many moments where he could have fallen and then for him to win at the end i mean i saw someone on twitter say like they could turn this into a movie and it really did sort of feel like they should know, yeah they should. A, a sports movie but bringing it back especially as someone who's worked uh with elite players and helped them with their prep team ding obviously and uh, richard rapport and we don't know as far as i know if anyone else was working with them but they made some curious opening choices especially with white uh not really pushing hard for an edge uh what did you think of these choices erwin yeah it, it yeah i i mean it i have to be a bit harsh here i think i mean opening wise it was really not a success for for ding yeah uh, um jan mostly played e e4 uh, throughout the match and uh, one time he played d4 just to probably check what uh, what ding was was planning there there was not a big success it was a draw that d4 game but other games were all 1e4 and yeah ding was suffering throughout uh, his spanish just wasn't really up to it uh, he was worse every single game even in a tie break he was worse uh, or under pressure at the very least so that cannot be considered a very big uh, big success uh, I, I was a bit disappointed to be honest with his prep uh, I was thinking that for this match he will really have his his uh, e4 e5 repertoire on a on a on a on a on a new level, and it was interesting what I think Daniel Dubov said. Uh, he mentioned that um, it looks like it looked like to him that at some point in his career Ding just decided that e4 e5 is his opening and it's what he does most mostly. Um, but in his view, it maybe doesn't really fit him very well. And and to be honest. I had the same feeling during the match that Jan just plays his positions better. Uh, Jan seems to be more at home in them, and 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 he got such comfortable, nice advantages out, out of the opening. And then he would also, or at least in my view, play them better afterwards. Uh, uh, so so that was uh, that was real suffering for Ding there. Uh, and with White, he had these experiments. Uh, well, H three, <laughs> not a lot has been said about that uh, move. Of course, it was, it's a fine. It's it's a move. You can make that move, but it didn't really turn out to be a big uh, success, especially because I think at that point in the match, he wasn't yet settled in. So I think uh, I speak about game two now, which he yeah. which he lost with the white pieces. Uh, uh, he played that move H three on move four, 
and I think you do that in a moment where you are feeling, you know, confident when you're when you're you you just settled in. And at that moment, he was actually very shaky uh, psychologically. It looked shaky. Uh, um, so I was a bit surprised with that choice. I think you can play it. Uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with the, with the move. I mean, why is not worse by any means? But I I think to go for that sort of fight where you basically say, well, I I, I take us both out of book, and I we just start playing. That that it it felt a bit wrongly timed in a way uh, uh, to uh, to me. For example, the Londons that he played later uh, in the or the the, the color systems that he played later in the match. Uh, that that's a bit more uh, restrained. He could easily have played that uh, as well uh, early on. So, but I, overall, I think opening wise, preparation wise, Naples was definitely leading. Uh, and as I think that that thing, he couldn't really compensate with the white pieces, the the the, um, the minuses he got with with the black pieces. Uh, of course, he with, with white, he also got some pressure in, but I felt that Jan was uh, definitely uh, superior in the in in the opening. It had a, it had a quite serious impact on the match also, uh, I think. Yeah, and the surprises were coming so early, which to my mind, I mean, you would be able to speak to this better than me, but the earlier you deviate from sort of main moves, the kind of more speculative it's going to be, you know, when he's going like 4H3 and 3C3 in uh, the rapid playoff, even the Bishop D2 line against the Nimzo, obviously that's not as obscure, but I mean, it as far as I know, doesn't have a very good theoretical reputation. So it was almost to me like an unprecedented level of sort of punting with the white pieces. Do you uh, yeah, share the, that? The difference, though, I think between that move H3 that he played and those E3, C3, uh, I don't know how to call them, uh, uh, systems that he played later later on. Because those are, at least you could say, relatively solid. You can make normal moves there and you will get a game. In H3, you really have to prove something. It's it's something. Uh, right. It's a it's kind of a different type of game that you're aiming for uh, uh, there. So it's it's in a way more risky yeah. than what he did later on in the in the in the match. Yeah, I mean chess principles 101. You're moving a side pawn on on move four. So. Yes. <laughs> no, I think he just. Uh, of course, uh, Jan. He had I think a very clear repertoire for black. Uh, I think he didn't. Play, well, we we don't know what he wanted after E4, but. I mean, I th I don't think he planned to deviate from much from his plan uh, that he had against Carlson. So he just wanted to close the game with with Black, which is a normal uh, strategy. Uh, you could see that in his uh, Black games in in one d four, for for example, he was going for the same uh, things. And I guess Ding just didn't find any good ideas against the Catalan. So that opening was uh, was out in, yeah. in in a way, and and so he just reverted to these sidelines, which is a which is a decent uh, uh, strategy. Uh, I, I, I think uh, uh, it's uh, yeah, pretty, a pretty decent strategy. And of course, another big difference um, this match compared to the previous matches with, with Magnus Carlsen, for example, is that when, when Carlsen played, uh, the opponents were automatically... Uh, well, Carlsen was a big favorite in all of his, his matches. He, he was just the strongest player in the world. Uh, still, still is. There's no uh, nothing, nothing changed. And of course, his opponents knew that as well. So they wanted to keep the risk to a minimum. Uh, and that meant that both with white and with black, they they with white Napo uh, against uh, Carlsen didn't take much risks. Was playing relatively solid. Uh, tried to press a little bit, but if if that didn't work, he would shut the game down. With Black, he also tried to shut the game down. So th those games were very uh, dry uh, in a way. That was not; those were not the very most entertaining matches uh, uh, of all. Also, the match with Kayaki and the match with Caruana was more playful, but uh, but still. Uh, but here you had two players, Ding and uh, Napo, that were sort of equal, and I think they both felt that they can win this match, that they can beat the opponent, and so they went for much more play in the uh, in the opening phase of the game. They really tried to make a game. And that was, I think, the big difference with uh, with the previous um, with the previous matches that we saw. Yeah, and it, it seemed to reverberate. I mean, it seemed to have an impact throughout the game. Obviously, when they were on on such a unfamiliar ground from early in, in the game, I mean, yeah, their gets... their decision making completely changes. I mean, if, if you if you of course psychologically it's difficult if you play someone that you know is stronger. Uh, it's going to impact you in a way. You're going to make slightly safer choices. You're going to take a little bit less risk. But here they both felt they can win, and it showed. Uh, they really tried to to keep keep play uh, uh, in the position at all times. Yeah, 
Um, Erwin, I want to follow up and get into Nepo's psychology because it also was fascinating. But first, we're going to take a quick break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we're back. And with Nepo, I also thought it was fascinating because whereas with Ding, you could see sort of confidence waxing and waning and you could feel the clock ticking. And with Nepo, it was often the opposite. And of course, that's been the line on him for many years that he can be impulsive at time, move too quickly. But even Fabiano was pretty unsparing in some of the things he said during the course of the match, like, you know, things along the lines of doesn't he know this is a world championship match, you know, Um, because there would be moments where there's a key sequence and he would just blitz out another move, like the moment where he played pawn to E5 in game 14 comes to mind um, when he really had a ding on the ropes. Um, I'm curious, as someone who's worked with top players, Erwin, have you ever had a moment where you're trying to help bring about some sort of behavior change? I'm, I'm guessing not, given the players you've worked with, but I am curious. That's, that's the thing, right? I mean, top players, they... Uh... They are top players for a reason, and right. and uh, Jan especially. Uh, uh, we we had last last Saturday we had Jan Timman uh, coming to the Max Euer Center to comment on the on the fourteenth game. Oh wow! And he also mentioned that uh, Jan's strengths are at the same time his his, his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. He he uh, he can sometimes be so strong uh, and fast, and this is so impressive. Uh, uh, Anish also mentioned this, that that, uh, that he played Jan. Both at, at at his best and his and and his and his worst, and the difference is is enormous. If he's at his best, he, he can be more uh, uh, convincing than 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 Magnus. He can be incredibly strong. Uh, he he plays with a lot of power, uh, makes fast decisions, good decisions. But yeah, as Caravana said, that will also mean that sometimes he will make those fast decisions, and they will be awful. Uh, and and. It's hard to say. Um, I worked with with Topalov. He Topalov was always extremely confident, and sometimes I would also think, well, if he can be a little bit. But right. at the same time, yeah, that confidence made him the player uh, uh, that he is. And and each top player has his own uh, strengths and 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 weaknesses, her own strengths and weaknesses. And it's very hard because you don't want to take away those things either. Uh, for right. example, if you're gonna tell Jan, well, you know, you should take your time, then he will also lose a bit of that edge that he also has. So it's 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 a very delicate uh, uh, thing. I understand what Fabiano said because, I, of course, I also saw those things uh, in, in, in passing. But it's also at the same time what what makes Napo very special player. So it's uh, it's hard to say. I should say though that that I felt that Napo psychologically was a bit stronger than than yeah. last time. I mean, uh, he had a lot of losses to deal with, and some were extremely ugly. Um, Maybe the maybe the most important part was that he was never behind in in a match, um, but he did have to deal with a couple of rough losses, and he he managed quite uh, quite well, I think. So so that that is, uh, I mean, he I think he probably took some lessons from from his uh, match with Carlson in that sense. Yeah, yeah, he definitely showed some resilience. Um, but yeah, I do just find it endlessly fascinating. And he did say, I think it was in yesterday's press conference, because as he sort of, you know, obviously it's going to be a long time for him to process what happened in that match as it is for those of us who didn't play in it. But as he looked back, it seemed like he was, he was more regretful of the classical phase than anything that happened yesterday. I think he sort of, as, as any sportsman would, you know, that once it goes to a playoff like that, um, anything can happen. And he did say, I, I, you know, there were probably some moments where I could have taken some more time, but and again, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, but if you see a move that you just feel, you know, is the right one, 
it's it's hard to sit there and keep thinking. And I felt like that was a real glimpse into his uh, his psychology. I mean, and as you say, that's what makes him so strong that I mean, first of all, the immense calculation prowess, but also sort of that um, overflowing confidence. Now, sometimes you hear uh, somebody who lost something, uh, uh, a match or, or or played a bad tournament, and you hear them complain, like, ah, I was winning there, I was winning there. And you usually take it with a, with a grain of salt. But but I have to say, this time, really, I mean, when he mentioned in the press conference that uh, he, he talked about game 12, for example, yeah, uh, and, and about his mischance, and he's definitely right. I mean, he could have very easily won this. Uh, this he could have easily been on the, on, on the good side of things uh, in this match. Because I think in the classical portion he was just, uh, yeah, he he was just uh, better. Uh, no, no other way to to say he was better prepared. He had some excellent positions, and in game twelve he could have finished it. Uh, yeah, he could have finished, uh, the match was that was a crazy game, uh, uh, which ended with that inexplicable f five uh, move. Just yeah, biggest blunder in the in in the match, uh, and. I think that tilted the the match to a large extent, and and yeah, of course, uh, he, the tiebreak for rapid games, yeah, there's nothing much to say. I heard a lot of people say that uh, Napo should be a favorite there, but to me, they all they they both played a lot of rapid games. They both played uh, in this uh, um, Champions Chess Tour. Uh, they are very known to the format, both of them. Uh, Ding is, I think, also an excellent rapid player. So I, I didn't see much of. I really thought it's just 50-50, just a torn, uh, torn course, and could have easily gone uh, the other way on, on, on another day. Yeah. But in the I, classical portion, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Nepo just uh, could have, could have taken it. I, I, I think. Yeah. Well said. And on hearing you discuss the rapid, it makes me think. I, I, w- I had this thought yesterday, and I also saw someone tweet it. So someone else had this thought. It almost felt to me like they were playing better in in the rapid. And you'd be more qualified to judge this than me. So do you think there's any merit to that? No, I thought they played. So I thought it was a very high level uh, uh, tiebreak. I mean, no obvious blunders, no weird uh, uh, things. Um, well, that sequence we spoke about of of, of Ding, that was simply very high level uh, chess. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think they I, I think they both played an excellent uh, uh, tiebreak. I think they managed somehow to to take that last bit of energy they had and they threw it all in the tiebreak. I thought it was a very good, um, very very high level. Yeah, I completely agree there. Yeah. Yeah, and game one in the tiebreak was absolutely riveting. I mean, of course, yep. thing wasn't wasn't going to play the queen. It wasn't going to take the sacrificed queen, but you have to find that knight b five move. And the fact that Nepo even stirred up those complications was was impressive. Yeah, you could of course say that this rook b one move was was a mistake, but okay, mistakes are made in a yeah. in a in, in in rapid game that that happens. And it, it was a beautiful idea by Nepo ninety five and b six. Uh, I mean, yeah. this is rapid chess, and he, he found those. Uh, those resources, look H5, he, he really went for it there. Uh, so, yeah, very, very impressive. Uh, I thought it was an excellent uh, tiebreak. So in that sense, I also think that Napo has nothing to feel about. Of course, he'll be annoyed that he lost that, but he, he played, a, played a fine uh, 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 tiebreak. I think that's why I understand that he really focused on classical, because that's where his chances uh, uh, were. Yeah, and if he never becomes world champion, you do sort of feel like uh, as the years go on, game 12 is definitely, that's what he'll think about. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, as as I mentioned, uh, I mean, minus three, uh, The I mean, the engine, of course, is a crude way to evaluate, but uh, a three-point advantage where if you win, you're, all you need to do is draw one of two games. I mean, it's just like... Uh, Ding's odds at certain moments were uh, were <laughs> were tiny to to pull off what he did. Uh, so we've got uh, questions from um, Patreon questions from friend of the pod Han Shu, also relating to the psychology. So I think it's a good time to dive into those or when. So um, and thanks for as always for helping support perpetual chess Han. So he asks uh, he's got a couple questions. Number one is in coaching Anish Giri, what would you do to prevent a Ding freeze, which is game seven, and a Nepo self destruct like game twelve? So what would you tell players? Uh, the Ding freeze he's referring to, of course, is where he just sort of watched his clock wind down and ended up making a colossal blunder to uh, ruin a decent position and uh, the Nepo self destruct we've already been discussing. So anyway, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, the the good thing is that he asks, "What would you do in the case of Anish Kiri?" To uh, because <laughs> Anish he, he is very, 
balanced in that in that way. So yeah. he doesn't have crazy time troubles, crazy freezes, crazy. He doesn't play too fast and and then blitzes. Uh, so he he generally his time management is quite good. Uh, and I say I'm happy that he asked about I because I honestly uh, it's also quite hard for people who have these issues yeah uh, to get rid of them because they're so I mean uh, they're already top players so it's so deeply ingrained in their system uh, and we spoke about that before and it's also part of what makes them strong what makes them good so uh, I I don't consider myself an expert in, in this uh, in this kind of uh, uh, thing so I I'm afraid I don't really have a clear cut. Uh, answer. I, I think yeah, what I do think is that you have to treat these things very delicately because if you start rigorously just uh, telling someone to to spend more time on the clock or to do this or do that, it might it might change the, their entire uh, system of playing the game, and and that's something you don't want to do. Uh, uh, I, I I think. Okay, so is this something that Anish has worked on? I mean, I agree. His psychology seems remarkably strong. You don't seem. I mean, we all have an occasional blunder or something, but he's not no, no uh, self-inflicted wounds for the most part. Um, is, does he have a sports psychologist that you're aware of, or is it just sort of, that's his natural disposition? I think it's just his natural uh, disposition. Uh, like you say, yeah, no, it's something that he just, um, yeah, just like Napo, he's, he's this uh, person who's on fire uh, very, very uh, easily on, on the boards. Uh, and he's just very calm, very uh, restrained, very, uh, so, so I think this, way of playing comes natural uh, uh to him it's it's who he is it's his personality uh, uh that comes out on the on on the board i think um so yeah that's that's also very much what it is in a way if you're if you're if you're speaking about changing such things you really have to change it on a on a very personal uh level so so i really it's like you say sports psychologists they i think those are the type of people that can help in this kind of situation because it's really something on that you have to change on a very deep uh, uh level if you want to change something about your uh your psychology as a player yeah and the nepo self-destruction i mean of course as we mentioned he he does have uh one clear uh psychological shortcoming that is also a strength at times um but to me i don't know that felt like such a unique moment like he's not someone that where the bre- the lights often get too big and he often kind of blows a, a strong position. Um, his, his, um, his struggles in the past, I feel like have been more round to round, you know, once he loses a game, things can unravel. Whereas this one, just the game itself unraveled. So I don't know. I mean, you're only in uh, potentially for all practical purposes, clinching world championship game once. So certainly I would think he needs to address it if he gets on that stage again, but otherwise I'm not sure if it'll be a recurring issue. What, what do you think? Yeah, it's 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 very. I mean, you speak specifically specifically about game twelve. I think now. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That is, yeah, that is. Hard. I mean, it was not. Um, to me, it was. I mean, I was following the game uh, live without an engine at the time. I was traveling, so I, I uh, and during those critical moments where where all these crazy things uh, happened, it wasn't that straightforward to me that the wins that he had. Uh, the only real crazy moment to me was F five because it yeah. was just that was. That was just inexplicable. But at that point, he was already uh, no longer on the good side of things, objectively uh, right. speaking. White was already fine there. Uh, Ding had, had won a pawn somehow, and and uh, or he had grab, grabbed the pawn somehow, and he was uh, hanging on to it. And according to the engine, White was slightly better, I think, at that uh, at that moment. But those those wins, I think, were not that easy. So, yeah, once again, I'm I'm not sure how. Um, what conclusions to draw from from that? It's it's a bit boring, perhaps, but I just I I don't want to pretend to be uh, knowledgeable on this because I it's 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 very hard to to draw conclusions from from games. You'd really have to speak with him to hear what he had calculated, what he had seen, uh, because sometimes there are just a chess reason for for things. Sometimes you just calculate something and, and you go for it. For for instance, I uh, had myself. Uh, very often games where uh, I, I had, for example, the, the opportunity to go for, for an attack uh, and I was calculating something and then I thought, ah, the attack is not working. And then later on, people came to me and said, come on, uh, you're, you're you're afraid to attack or what? Right. And then I just, yeah, but I didn't see the continuation simply. I went, for, I, I, I calculated the line, but I didn't see the continuation. And then they understood, yeah, okay, so you wanted to, but yeah, you didn't see the way to play. So it can right. be both. Uh, there can be multiple reasons why somebody doesn't make the right uh, move. So you really have to speak with the person, see what 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 the thoughts were during the during the game, and then you can maybe 
draw the right uh, conclusion. But from from our perspective here, it's very hard to to say too much. I think about it. Yeah, and that F five move in particular. I mean, as as I mentioned on the last pod, like as Fabiano said, um, it it probably wasn't a chess error. It was some sort of psychological error. But and I certainly well, uh, I don't. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I mean, it could be. I mean, it's 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 still a horrible blunder. It could be that he missed it after uh, a d five check that he cannot he can no longer block on e five. Right. He could always block on e five. So that would be in a way still a chess blunder. It's a horrible blunder, but it would still so. Uh, uh, and then there can be other. There can be it's, fatigue can be a reason. There are so many yeah, things going on. Uh, yeah. uh, the match is long already at this point. Twelve games. They're there for a couple of weeks already. Both players probably exhausted. Uh, so it, it's it's it is very hard uh, to to draw a clear conclusion. Yeah, it is. And I you know, I don't think he should have been asked what were you thinking in those stark terms right <laughs> after the game. Yeah. But I hope someone asks them someday to, to shed a little bit of light. In, in general, at these these press conferences, they can be so awkward. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how to how to organize it in general. Yeah. But it, I mean, you have the winner uh, and the loser next to each other. Uh, well, loser is a bit of a wrong word. This, but let's say the the winner of the game and and the person that that, that lost. Uh, and it it's, it creates this tense atmosphere. One person is down. The other one is kind of happy. You get these awkward questions. Uh, maybe they could do separate press conferences, or maybe the only the the person that wins should be there. I I, I don't know how to. Uh, some people might say it's just part of the game, and it's great that we have these press conferences. So that, that's also a valid point of view. But I, I find it a bit awkward some sometimes. Yeah, I do too. And and getting back to sports, I mean, it's rare that you have the winning coach and the losing coach there together. They do their things yes. separately. Yeah. Um, and then yesterday, of course, the first question they're asked after uh, after this incredible moment is about the weather in Astana. So that was insane, right? Yeah, I, I, I was going nuts. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was I was sitting there for the press conference. I was ready to 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 see some nice questions coming about the game, about how he came up with Rook G six and how how did you feel and and then the first uh, question is how how did, how do you like your stay and how do you like the weather and what did you do on the rest day and right. yeah, that was that was a bit painful. Uh, yeah, to say. that was really. Uh, yeah, that was really not not, not good. No. Yeah, uh, quite strange. Okay, we've got a follow-up question from Han Shu uh, related to the psychology of the match. He says, uh, Magnus Carlsen stated that Nepo's ceiling is closer to his, but Nepo's floor is much lower than Magnus's. And Jonathan Rousen stated in 2021 that Magnus forced Nepo to his floor in their match. The strong weaken the weaker because strength is a function of the will. And in a context where there's no escape, one side will ultimately yield to the other. Uh, Jonathan talked about this in his great book, uh, The Moves That Matter. So um, Han asks, do you believe that Nepo's collapse in game 12 had anything to do with Ding's willpower or was it merely caused by the match situation? Oh, it's a deep one. Well, I do I do really like, by the way, that quote that you... Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I do think there is... Um... A lot going on between two players during a match. I mean, I I don't know if we spoke about that, but but I uh, I remember when Topalov played with Anand uh, in 2010. I was there. I was I was uh, helping uh, Topalov there, and uh, during that match, at some point, Veselin wanted to avoid all kind of technical positions, even though he plays them perfectly well. But he uh, he didn't feel good in them uh, any anymore. Well. So that that's sort of an advantage that passed over to to Vichy because Vichy was playing Catalan in that right. uh, in that match, so he was going for those technical positions. And after he won one uh, one such such game, um, Veselin, yeah, he didn't want to do want anything to do with that anymore. Even though he, I mean, later on he played many many uh, fine uh, technical uh, games. I mean, he's uh, obviously uh, very capable of it. But during that match, something happened in a way, like like got into his head, and uh, I think it's very possible that that uh, somehow the way somebody sits behind the boards, some, something that he read. I mean, I've played against both, uh, and uh, with Nepo, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. You feel a lot of pressure when you, he plays fast. He has this, you know, you've seen the looks that he yeah. gives. You may, I mean, yeah, I got a lot of weird looks from him when I was playing him uh, during the game for obvious, uh, obviously uh, correct reasons also. Uh, but he really radiates that. So so uh, there's a lot of pressure uh, coming uh, from him. From Ding, you feel that less. 
but uh, also sometimes when you play uh, a, a quiet person like Ding, it can also be intimidating in a way because you feel like like well now I'm doing well now I'm I'm but he's sitting there like like it's like nothing's going on. I, I had the same with with Adams always, Mickey Adams. Right. He, you could not see on his face if he's winning or losing. That's just there was no difference, and you would try to read something and you just don't get anything. Uh, so. It's it it works both uh, both uh, ways. As to game twelve, yeah, I, I would refer to what we spoke about earlier that that it's it's very hard for me to to make a a clear conclusion as to why that all happened. Uh, but it could very well be that Ding was at that moment uh, radiating something that 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 had uh, had an impact. Uh, but I I think that it's still some psycho psychological slash chess reason why why that all uh, un unfolded. Yeah, that would be that would be my guess as well. Um, with Ding in the press conference uh, yesterday, he was asked about Rook G6. And even then it was striking to me because he wasn't describing the emotions of the moment. He wasn't saying, like, I decided to go for it. He said, like, I was trying to get out of check, basically. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I, I needed to get out of check. Yeah, I think he did mention something like when you when you uh, get a chance, you should try to take it, something like that. But but I thought it was that was also not really i mean it wasn't really even a chance in my i mean no or at least nobody saw it as a chance uh, i'm sure that nine out of ten top players would have repeated there uh um like i said uh, uh that russian uh, uh commentary they assumed the game had ended because uh, yeah. they were repeating a couple of times and they thought okay this is this is a draw i mean uh, nobody's gonna gonna continue but so so yeah, he created a chance out of nowhere, uh, essentially. And I, I, I like that when he, it's true, when he was asked about it, he, he didn't, I think, see it himself as a as a special moment. He just, right. yeah, I just, uh, I just, and I think that 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 shows a bit his his character. I think he just, um, yeah, he just for him it was completely normal what he what he did. That's probably why he's world champion now. Yeah. All right, well, we got to take another break. And then when we're back, we're going to discuss everyone's favorite topic, World Championship Match Formats. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line this episode is brought to you by pepsi wild cherry pepsi wild cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And we are back. And Erwin, as I alluded to, people love to debate this. Um, I had tweeted out yesterday that I've, you know, I'm, on the record as not being against rapid playoffs. Um, I think they're uh, basically a necessary evil um, for the most part, although I don't mind the idea of going back to where the defending champion uh, needs to be beaten to lose his title so that there's more of an imbalance in the match. But I wasn't, even though I was excited to watch a blitz playoff, to me, it, it felt not right when it looked like we were heading towards a blitz playoff. Um, I know you're someone who loves chess history and the the long sweep of classical matches so where do you stand on like how did you feel watching the playoff yesterday in terms of the format yeah i think it's a necessary evil i mean uh there were they they extended the the, the matches with with two and eh? we play 14 games now uh so there's enough time to make a make a difference uh in those games uh, it's in a way a miracle. Also, if you see how the match progressed, the, the final score was seven-seven. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it was so crazy that at some point uh, I was sure somebody is gonna uh, run away with with, with it. Um, yeah, an interesting idea. Uh, I always felt it was an interesting idea, at least, is to start with the tiebreak. Yeah, uh, before the classical games, so you 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 play four rapid games. And then you know at the end of the of the match that in case of a seven seven, the one who won the uh, four rapid games wins. 
Uh, but I also know the people who are against that. Uh, they, they don't like that it starts with Rapid. It feels a bit uh, old. And there's something to say for that as well. But I do like that if you uh, start with those Rapid games uh, and you have a winner on day one of, of, of the match, then after that, you will always have somebody leading the match. So so uh, even even if, if, if you make 14 draws, somebody will always be leading. So there will always be a story. Uh, because now we were very lucky that we had a we had a great match, but we also had matches that we were really uh, uh, having a tough time uh, selling it to a big audience. Uh, but in this case, you will always have a story. There will always be someone leading. It's always somebody who has to win, uh, and and that could I think be interesting. But uh, uh, um, since this idea has been around for a while already, I doubt that it will ever be implemented. But I I always thought it was an interesting uh, idea. In general, of course, yeah, like you say, I'm I'm a big fan of classical chess. I like those numbers you mentioned earlier. That uh, uh, I also saw somewhere five hundred seventy thousand. Oh wow! Uh, for, for the uh, maybe that some, maybe that includes Fide because that that might have been some, just some a tweet by yeah uh, by Tariay, uh, the, the Norwegian uh, oh, okay. journalist. I think he I think I saw him tweeting something uh, uh, about that. So huge numbers for the last day of, uh, of 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 the match. So in that sense, there is hope for classical chess. Uh, I, I I think. Um, but this this could be. Potentially an uh, an idea to to start with the, with the tiebreaker. I wouldn't be against it. And and what about going to blitz after four rapid games? I personally, yeah, you know, maybe they need to rest a day. Some people said yes. Some people said no. They said in tennis when it's tied. And apologies, I don't remember who said this on Twitter, but they said in tennis when it's tied, they just keep going. And maybe they just <laughs> need to keep going in rapid. But I felt like okay, maybe after four games you play maybe slightly faster or you wrap it up and do it again the next day. But uh, other people are saying, just keep going. But do you feel that you go to blitz after four rapid games? Yeah. Ooh, I haven't really given a lot of thought to this, but it, yeah, I, to me, deciding it in blitz is, is definitely very unsatisfactory. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I really would not have been happy uh, to see, uh, to see blitz. Uh, but then again, I, I, maybe I'm old fashioned. In, in in this because when I speak with new generation of players, um, they probably consider this to be uh, an opinion of uh, of dinosaur uh, already. So <laughs> I, I I don't know maybe it's just the way um, we're supposed to be headed. Uh, I mean I I, I can uh, I can be flexible about these things. I mean personally, I like uh, the, the longer the time controls the the, the better uh, uh, to me. So. Uh, if they would next time say we continue with rapid until there's a decision, uh, also fine, also fine with with with, with me. Uh, Blitz feels wrong, yeah, feels very yeah. wrong. I mean, uh, yeah, and I I I enjoy a blitz spectacle as much as the next guy. I love the FIDE world and rapid and blitz, but it's just so far removed from. Uh, yeah, and we have of course we have the the world rapid championship, we have the world blitz championship, so it's it's already a. Bit disturbing that we also decide the classical world championship essentially with 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 rapid. Uh, so it's not it's not ideal right now, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. I think. Uh, yeah, and again, very very entertaining. I mean, obviously it was in Kazakhstan, so that's an issue. I do feel that they could do more to have more events on weekends. They could do. I mean, they had they did have the tiebreak on a Sunday, which is good, and the the final match on a Saturday. Um, but uh, I did prefer when they they in the previous match they staggered the schedule so there were always games on Saturday and Sunday. Um, so I think small tweaks like that would be good and maybe a few more rapid tie breaks. But um, it seems like this match, especially given the lack of enthusiasm going in, was was reasonably successful. This was uh, that's definitely how I'm also thinking. Of. A small note that I think they changed uh, um, the schedule in the way that the final fourteenth game. And the tiebreak are are in one weekend, so I think that was a very good decision. Yeah, because in in the past they had the fourteenth game, then a tie, then a, a rest day, and then the tiebreak, which was a bit of a of a stretch, I think, and and this felt better. But um, yeah, to come to your question uh, about Carlson, okay, it's of course a great pity uh, still uh, to me that he decided not to uh, defend his title. It just devalues the the whole thing a little bit. Uh, but having said that, I mean, it was a great match. I I, I did not uh, I didn't anticipate that I would enjoy it to this extent. Same here. Yeah. For me, it was a very it was a regular world championship. I saw it uh, as such, and Ding is to me a true world champion. 
Yep. Uh, uh, we had in the past uh, actually many moments where the strongest player was not the world the world champion, and that's something that we are not really used to anymore because since 2013 we had Magnus as the world champion and he was the strongest player, and and we kind of uh, quickly got used to that. Uh, but in many sports, uh, the world champion is not necessarily the the best uh, uh, player, and and I think they they can easily live uh, together. In fact. I think Magnus was the strongest player in the world from about 2009, 2010. And he himself only started to fight for the championship three, four years uh, uh, late. In 2013, he played with, with, with Vichy uh, when he was already clearly the higher rated uh, player. in, in, in the, and, and we didn't feel that was a bad thing. Vichy was a very worthy world champion as, as well, uh, despite that Magnus was already the stronger player. So I think, uh, I, I, I don't think, I, I'm still confident that the... World Championship uh, will remain a big event and and a very um, relevant uh, event. And who knows? Maybe Magnus will uh, like to try to play against Ding. Maybe he'll maybe he'll come back to to play against Ding. That would be great, of course. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Speaking of Vichy, he tweeted, uh, "It's impossible to praise both players enough. Even today, they went at it with full energy, and the fourth game was so draining. However, Ding survived so many setbacks and saved his best for last." Yeah, and on the topic of Magnus, I mean, it sounded like he was watching based on his tweet about uh, praising self-pinning uh, Rook G6. So maybe it will pique his interest. But I, I mean, Magnus, obviously, as you say, his place is secure. But the idea of how wide open the next candidates would be is also uh, interesting to me. And whoever emerges from that, um, unless Ding sort of finds another gear, obviously he's number three on the live ratings. He's he's likely to be a favorite given his experience. But with so many young up and coming players, it, it feels like it'll it's almost guaranteed to be a uh, pretty uh, competitive match. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Uh, first of all, well, let's for now assume that Carlson uh, is not going to come back anytime soon into the into the cycle, because if he would, then of course he's immediately favored to right. both qualify and and and, and win it. Um, and, but let's say if that's not the case, then it gets very interesting for the other top players because all the other top players know that now they have a very serious shot. Uh, yeah. At it, I mean, before they would be heavy underdog against Magnus. But uh, I'm sure if you ask Fabiano uh, Caruana if he could, uh, if he would be able to defeat any of the two players that played here, he would be very confident. He would be, well, not that he would uh, guarantee a win, right? But uh, Fabiano at his best would be very dangerous for both Ding and uh, and 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 Naples. So, um, yeah, I think it's in a way very motivating for the other top players uh, uh, as as well because they really feel that they have a shot now. And it's 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 very hard. Um, like if you, for, on the top of my head, I mean, Caruana, uh, Anish, I think is also uh, not to be underestimated in this cycle. Um, uh, Firuja is a bit of a yeah, it's a bit unclear. He doesn't play so much, of course, but he's of course also definitely uh, very much uh, uh, out there uh, still. Then Napo, I mean, won two candidates, so it cannot be excluded for uh, for a third one uh, either. Um, yeah, I think those are the. F- or that I would put on my short list. Um, and still, you have others as well, of course, that could easily uh, easily do it. Yeah, and then you have all the, the young bucks who tend not to be in the, the top 10, but in, in the top 25, top 30, and potentially rising. The, for the them, young... it, it'll mostly be about qualifying for the candidates. I mean, it's yeah. not so easy for them to get in. I mean, uh, they have Isle of Man, of course, they have the World Cup. So uh, uh, you might see some, well, surprising, I'm not even sure it's surprising, but but some surprising uh, qualifiers from, from, from there. Um, but uh, it's a bit harder for them to, to do it. Uh, I guess they have less invitations. So also, uh, for example, Anish will play a lot of classical events this year. So he will, he will get very high in these tour standings, uh, which right. gives him a good chance of qualifying uh, uh, as, as well. Um, yeah, it's it's... It's a bit hard to uh, to to predict, of course, but those four names I mentioned earlier, I think uh, um, they have every reason to be uh, to be really going for it uh, uh, right, right now. Yeah, and then you mentioned the World Cup. Of course, Magnus loves the World Cup, so it's going to be especially messy. It was already messy when he's the world champion, but if he plays in it and there's candidate spots on the line and he doesn't want to play in the candidates, 
Um, it's it's going to be even messier. Yeah, no, he was already ruining people's dreams uh, there <laughs> right. when he was when he was world champion. Yeah, and now he's going to ruin them even uh, not not even eager to qualify for the title anymore. Um, but he, yeah, he he does want to win it maybe. So uh, it's it's possible that he will again play it. Uh, mm-hmm. Wouldn't rule, rule rule it out at at all. Uh, before I always felt it's a bit weird, by the way, that he was allowed to, yeah. to participate. And it's the same uh, the same thing in in Isle, Isle of Men, the Grand Swiss. I also thought he should not have been allowed to play there. I mean, he's he's, he's the world champion and and he influences the cycle there. And it's not, by the way, not his uh, mistake. It should right. simply be in the rules. Uh, I think I understand that he likes to play them. So uh, if he's allowed to play them, then then to play it is of course fine. But but I think that from the perspective of Fida, that should not have been uh, been been allowed. But now that he's no longer champion, yeah, he can play anything he wants. Uh, uh, Grand Swiss, uh, uh, World Cup. Uh, and he can he can uh, try to win them again. Yeah, yeah. And on the topic of the World Cup, I mean, again, I love it as a fan, but I have heard the criticism raised that it's a very mixed format. I mean, it's a short classical match, and then it goes to these faster games. So I have heard it mentioned that it's not even the most natural fit to be a qualifier for the candidates. So maybe the solution would be to have other methods into the candidates, and then Magnus can play that to his heart's content. Yeah, it's a it's a bit more random. If I uh, I think was the main uh, um, um, objection against the, uh, the 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 World Cup, and um, on the other hand, yeah, I I think if you win something like the World Cup, it's it's a nice way to uh, to get in. I have no objections against the World Cup. I think it's a nice event. Everybody likes to follow it. It's super strong always. So I personally don't have anything against the World Cup being uh, being a qualifier for. Uh, for, for, for the candidates and I also kind of like even that there are different ways to, to qualify for the um for for the candidates so I I have no objection against uh, against the World Cup being 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 one of them yeah um okay well Erwin I mean amazing match so uh any any final thoughts about like how you know how we might look back on this years down the road like how do you think this will be viewed uh, no I just hope uh, and I'm sure that will be the case I, I hope that Ding will not change at all that he will remain the same uh sympathetic yeah. uh, uh, person that he is uh I don't, I don't see him I, I, I'm very happy for him uh, I mean of course uh my commiserations to to Jan uh, obviously but I'm 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 at the same time very happy for Ding um as he mentioned in the press conference, he, he started playing it for both 26 years, tried to, uh, you know, to, to reach his goals. He managed now. I, I, I thought it was a beautiful story. Uh, it was a beautiful match, extremely fighting. After a few days, I thought Ding was completely done. I, I, I even, uh, well, the thing is, it was a funny story. We asked Jan Timman, I mentioned it earlier, to to do a uh, live commentary at the Max Center Center where I, where I work these, these days. And I was, I was afraid that the match would end prematurely because we had this date set, uh, but the match could easily have ended before game uh, right. game fourteen. And then, especially after the first couple of days, I was sure uh, I was about to write Jan already uh, that yeah, sorry, but it looks like this day <laughs> it's not going to be pl- uh, as we as we planned. Uh, so it it was just a fantastic match, uh, extremely many ups ups and downs, and uh, very good I think for for our game for the game of chess. Just a very good promotion. Uh, as well as uh, good promotion for classical chess, uh, I, th- I think, and I'm looking forward to the to the next cycle. Uh, yeah. Already, I mean, candidates, World Cups, Grand Swiss. We we get a lot of brilliant events coming up. Uh, I'm of course rooting for Anish, uh, obviously, but uh, I think everybody will try to 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 chip in and then get to the next match. It would be great to see Anish in the in the World Championship. And let me ask you: were there were there any other highlights from uh, Jan Timmons' speech? Any other like stories you could you could share? Um, yeah, no, it it was just a very nice day. I mean, uh, uh, the Maxwell Center is not very big. Uh, we normally, I mean, thirty people. We are it's completely full, but there wow. were like fifty people. There were fifty people, so so people had to stand, and people had to, and and everybody. I mean, the match was, uh, of course, uh, uh, very much followed in the Netherlands. We are still very much a chess uh, country, a lot of chess fans in the Netherlands. So so uh, many people came. Jan is, of course, a legend, uh, of course, especially yeah. of course in our country, but but in the entire chess world. So everybody liked to see what he had to uh, to say. It was a very lively day. People uh, shouting suggestions, <laughs> Jan refuting them, uh, uh, <laughs> throwing in some nice anecdotes from, from from his own career. Of course, he played a world championship match himself in, yeah. in '93. So 
uh, he has a ton of experience. So he, he was really the perfect person to uh, to speak about that. So we were very happy that he uh, that he wanted to uh, uh, to come. So that was that was a great uh, that was a great. He showed some studies of his. He is a he's a fantastic yeah. composer. He has, I mean, he's extremely productive. Makes one brilliant uh, study after another. So so I would definitely recommend uh, uh, listeners and, and 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 viewers these days uh, to. Um, uh, to check out his studies because he he makes the most uh, amazing uh, uh, things. Uh, and yeah, we were, like I said, we were very happy to have him and to to experience the world championship uh, together with with him. Excellent, yeah, absolute legend. And Erwin, uh, what's going on with you? Do you have any tournaments coming up? Are you busy with the chessable course? Uh, what what's on deck for two thousand twenty three? I am making a chessable course on the Slav, which which got a bit delayed. Uh, some things came up, and 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 uh, but I am uh, gonna definitely finish that uh, somewhere. I think in the next three months or three months or so. So I hope people will uh, will be looking out uh, for that. And and in a, actually two days from now, I'm going to Malmo. Uh, not playing there. I'm doing commentary. I oh, did that fun. last year as well, and uh, it's it's very fun. Uh, it's it's a great tournament. A nice mix between young and and older, uh, play, well, experienced players. I should uh, <laughs> I should say, uh, uh, and it's a very nice field. Very nice mix. Uh, uh, like I said, young top players up up and coming, uh, and uh, uh, somewhat experienced uh, players. Then I'll go with Anish to Norway to Norway Chess to uh, to, to to Stavanger. Okay. Um, which is extremely strong this uh, this year. I, I think uh, most of the top ten is there, so it's maybe even the strongest uh, event of the year. I'm I'm not sure, but it must be up there with one of the strongest uh, lineups. And then I will go to Prague to play myself uh, in the in the chess festival. I'll uh, play in the challenges there, and, and looking very much forward to that because I always heard a lot of good stories of that tournament, uh, and uh, uh, so I got to play get to play there this year myself. Looking forward to that. Dutch Championship comes after that. I have to defend my title. Yes. <laughs> uh, which is going to be very hard because Anish Giri is playing this year oh, uh, wow. as well as Jordan van Forest. So it's it's going to be very strong Dutch Championship. This year, the Dutch Federation um, has a jubilee, 150 years. So, uh, yeah, they really try to to create a, a very strong Dutch Championship. And uh, it looks like they will succeed with Anish and, uh, and Jordan participating. So that's very exciting as well. So, yeah, plenty of things, uh, plenty of things come, coming up. Yeah, one more exciting than the next. It sounds awesome. Yes, yes. <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, Erwin, really appreciate you sharing your perspective of this uh, unforgettable match. Um, we look forward to you, uh, if Twitter still exists, for you popping up on Twitter again for the next World Championship. <laughs> I will. On the next championship, I'll, I'll, I'll be there again. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thanks again, Erwin. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.